I wish there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again, where all of our mistakes and heartaches and all of our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never put on again. Is there such a place, the land of beginning again? There is. I want us to go there. It's Psalm chapter 32. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. Psalm chapter 32. Uh, If this is your first Sunday here at Windsor Road, my name's Randy, and we're so happy that you're here. Uh, We're in a family series called Modern Families, and this morning we're going to look at the subject of family secrets. Family secrets. And Our scripture talks to us about family secrets, and I want you to see how this unfolds, but let's first read Psalm chapter 32. You'll find that on page 462 of your church Bibles, the black Bibles in the pouch in front of you. If you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please feel free to take a copy and put your name in the book, and and, uh, that's yours, and please receive it as a gift from Windsor. Psalm chapter 32 A maskeel of David. Now, what in the world is a maskeel? What is that? Well, that's a Hebrew term, and it means it means a poem, poem, um, but a particular kind of poem, not just any old poem. A poem that's written to give wisdom. A poem that's to make me wise. A maskeel of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word. Closets. 
Let's talk about closets. How many of you have closets at home? Just nod. How many of you have doors on your closets at home? Just nod. How many of you have windows on the doors of your closets? Oh, you don't. Neither do I. And you know why, of course. Why would I want you to look into my closet? What could possibly be of interest to you in my closet? I don't want you to look in my closet. There's stuff in my closet I'd rather you not see. Cluttered stuff. Perhaps smelly stuff. Just stuff. Closets. Close it. Shut it. Lock it. Deadbolt it. Who has a deadbolt on their closet? Don't want you to look in. Which makes a closet a very apt word picture for the family secrets in our lives. Those family secrets. Family of origin secrets. Secrets that we just keep from others. Secrets that we don't want others to find out about. Secrets that we're ashamed of. Secrets that give us pain. And so we guard the closet because we don't want anybody in. It doesn't take a psychology degree to figure out why we keep secrets secrets. Things that we are ashamed of. Things that we have done the guilt that we feel, the shame that we feel. And you know, there's a difference between the two, don't you? Guilt. Guilt tells us that we've done something wrong. Shame tells us that we are something wrong. And guilt and shame are why people keep secrets. We make mistakes and we're embarrassed about it. We just don't want people to know. And, and it's amazing how young these secrets can begin to fester. Even children, just almost instinctively, want to just kind of keep things secret. Uh, One of my sons came home from school when uh, he went to Westview Elementary, and I said, well, how was your day, bub? And, oh, it was fine. I said, well, what'd you do today? He said, well, dad, I had to sit on the line today. Had to sit on the line today? Uh, what What do you mean? Well, I had to sit on the line today because I didn't do my homework. Oh, you didn't do your homework? No, I didn't get my homework done. I didn't do it. So I had to sit on the line today. That's what happens when you don't do your homework. You have to sit on the line. Where's the line? Well, the line is outside during recess. Everybody else is playing except for those who have to sit on the line. Then they sit on the line, and then they just watch everybody play during recess. That's the line. Oh, I said, really? Well, I said, that's, that's tragic. <laughs> My son said, oh, it wasn't too bad. In fact, I kind of like sitting on the line. I enjoy it. I enjoy sitting on the line. I said, oh, really? Really? You enjoy sitting on the line? I said, well, if that's the case then, son... 
I must have a conversation with your teacher. Because if you enjoy your punishment, then what's the point? He paused. And then he replied, Dad, the point is to not tell my teacher that I enjoy sitting on the line. That's the point. (laughs) I won't tell you who that son of mine is. I'll just say, watch your speed at Parkland College. Okay, just... (laughs) Children, so young, they keep secrets. Any secrets in your closet? Any closet door that's double dead bolted. Why would you do that? We, we, we put uh, locks on front doors. We put windows on front doors. We put windows on back doors. We put windows on French doors. We, we lock, but what? why? What? What's your secret? What is it that you feel like that if, if, if anybody else knew, uh, it would just be the death of you? What is that? Our scripture today tells us about the closet of Israel's greatest king, King David, slayer of Goliath. Saul has killed his thousands, David his tens of thousands. But here we are introduced to a time when when David's kingdom shrank to the size of a closet because of a secret. That's what secrets do, you know. That's what they do. They cause our lives to just shrink. Here David was to be the sovereign king of, you know, from the, the, the northern cedars of Lebanon to the south of the Negev to the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, north, south, east, and west. But because of this secret, his kingdom shrank to the size of a puny little closet. And what I want us to do as we look at Psalm chapter 32 is answer three questions. Question number one, why do dirty closets stay dirty? Why? Why do they stay dirty? Question number two, how do dirty closets get clean? How can we get the clean to the closet? And then question three is what can we anticipate from God through all of this? Why do dirty closets stay dirty? How can dirty closets get clean? And what can we anticipate and expect from God in all of this? Question number one, why do dirty closets stay dirty? Verse three tells us, it focuses on the word silence or silent. Do you see that in verse three? When I kept silent, stop right there, silence. Silence is what keeps our family closets locked. Silence. And David confesses a time when he was silent about his past. And in all likelihood, this psalm refers to his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. It was when he was about 50 years of age. At the time of the year when kings were supposed to be on the battlefield with their troops... David took vacation on company time, and he stayed home. His finest officers are at the front, but that's not where he is. He was at headquarters. He wasn't even at headquarters. 
He was at home. He lagged behind. One night as he was out on the balcony, that's when he saw Bathsheba's beautiful body and found himself lusting after her. And he summoned her, and she came. And here is the scandal of it all. Bathsheba was the wife of one of David's finest officers. And it was just horrid what he did. Here, Uriah the Hittite, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, one of David's finest officers, he finds himself fighting for his life, for his king, but what's his king doing back home? Raiding his marriage. Uriah is giving and giving. David is taking and taking. And and Bathsheba and David, there was adultery. And of course she got pregnant. Of course. And then the cover-up. He wanted to bring Uriah home so they could spend a weekend together to make it look like, uh, you know, the baby was his. But that didn't work out. And then David took a desperate measure. Desperate people do desperate things. He ordered the death of one of his finest officers in order to cover up his evil, sinful thing. And it worked. And then you know what happened? There was this incredible public relations windfall. Oh, yes. The communications director there at the palace of Jerusalem. Can you, just, can you just see the headlines of the Jerusalem Times? Gracious king weds grieving widow of slain war hero. And then subtitled, God blesses their union with the coming of a child. Oh, everybody was so excited. Everybody was so thrilled. That's, that's our king. That's David. He's our king. This is how magnanimous and gracious he is to do this for this grieving widow. Oh, my. Everybody was so proud of him. Everybody but one. Remember what 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven says. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And for the better part of a year, David had to guard this closet in his life. And it wore on him. His silence began to beat him down. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Now, you wouldn't have known it by looking at him because he was wearing the king's robes. He was looking regal. He had oil on his face. He looked very well, but on the inside, he was rotting. The thing you couldn't see was wasting away. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David became sick, sick because of his sin. His secret made him sick. And in verse 4, we see how he was psychologically and emotionally and spiritually dehydrated. 
For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. This man is depressed. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Now, listen, I don't see an absolute link between sin and sickness in Scripture. I don't see an absolute link between sin and sickness in Scripture. Just read the book of Job and you will learn that. But Psalm 32 tells us that sometimes there's a link. That's what's going on with David. Look, my strength was dried up. Why, David looked like last summer's crop. Wilted, dehydrated, dried. Dried up. And, and, and see, he's back at the palace. And there in the palace, he can hear the celebration and the joy and the sacrifice of worship in the tabernacle. He can even come in the midst of God's people. And from the outside, he can stand there, but he's not, there's no joy in his life. Why? Because he's spending and obsessing all of his time and all of his life trying to guard this puny little closet that has now become his new kingdom. And instead of enjoying worship at the true holy of holies, now he's trying to protect and guard this pseudo holy of holies, guarding the secret as if it were some god. It's nothing but an idol. And it's wearing on him. And do you notice verse 4, there's this term. It actually appears three times in Psalm 32. Do you see it there? It says, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then there's this word off to the right-hand column. It says, selah. You see that? It appears also in verse 5, and it appears also in verse 7. What is that? Well, that is a Hebrew term, and uh, it means pause. It's a musical term. It's a liturgical term. It means pause. And in other words, David wants us to pause. Think about this. Don't just read through quickly here. Don't blow through this passage of Scripture. Ponder this. Contemplate this. Why don't we? Why don't we? One of the chains that Satan uses to keep people bound to their past is the chain of secrecy. And, and the way it works is this. People who have... Uh, uh, who, uh, take guard over their closets, they, they tend to think that, you know, whatever their situation is, it's unique. And nobody else on the face of the earth has ever lived through their hell. No one else. And, and so we carry this hurt within our hearts and uh, of this dreaded secret. We think that if someone finds out, then I will be totally rejected and life as I know it will end. And as a result, when we buy into that, Secrecy becomes a spiritual tomb. The fact of the matter is, you know, those kinds of secrets, you don't keep those kinds of secrets. They keep you, and they imprison you. Here, David is king, but his secret has made him a prisoner. What about us? I'm thinking about the woman who was taught to ignore her feelings as a child. Growing up, uh, she was shamed whenever she uh, expressed any kind of emotion, uh, whether it's joy, happiness, anger, fear, hope. She felt that she was the cause of her father's alcoholism and irrational anger. And so she grew up trying to be a good little girl so that her father wouldn't have to drink. 
You see, in her family, feelings didn't count. And so she tried to hide her emotions, thinking that somehow if she could hide her emotions, that would bring order to her chaotic family. Listen to what she said. The code of silence was so strong that it never entered my mind to explain my problem to the teachers. When I left the house in the morning, I would act as if I were the happiest child in the world. I was not only lying to the world, but I was lying to myself. You see what's, you see what's going on here? See, not only now has the parent been guarding the closet door, but now the, now the parent wants the child to pull a shift too. And that's not right. That's not right. Susan Forward has written a book called Toxic Parents in which she said, secrets help toxic parents cope by turning their families into private little clubs to which no outsiders are admitted. The child who hides abuse by telling her teacher that she fell down the stairs is trying to protect the family club from outside influence. That's not right. Um, Friday night at Celebrate Recovery, uh, Dave King taught, and uh, we reviewed this very important word, denial. 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 Denial is not a river in Egypt. Denial. Denial. Self-protecting behavior that keeps me from accepting the truth. Self-protecting behavior that keeps me from accepting the truth. And we learned this acronym regarding denial. Denial. D. It disables our emotions. Disables our feelings. Causes emotional numbness. How have I been numb? How, how, what feelings do I avoid? Uh, where's my joy? I can tell you this. There's no joy in verses 3 and 4. E, energy lost. How much energy have I spent guarding that door? Preoccupied, obsessed with worry. What if someone finds out? What are people going to think? Huh? N, negates growth. See, I mean, how long have I wanted to change? How long? But you see, change isn't going to happen because you, because you haven't accepted the truth. And you will never heal from a wound if you keep pretending that wound isn't there. I isolates us from God. I mean, David is right next to the tabernacle, but he's isolated. How long have I been avoiding God because of this closet? A, alienates us from others. How have your secrets affected your relationships with other people, with your spouse, with your children? L, lengthens our pain. Listen, is your guard duty over this closet helping? You know, is it, is it working, Really? The problem is, is that dirty closets just don't disappear on their own. They don't. They don't. And, and those closets then get passed on to the next generation, to our children. Is that really what we want? Is it? 
Is it really fair to ask our children to guard the secrets in our closet? What's in there that's really worth that much? I mean, what, what treasure is in there? See, we, we we're deluded into thinking that that secret is some treasure that has to be guarded. Really? Really? Is there a better way? Yes. That takes us to question number two. How dirty closets get clean? And the answer to that question is also one word. If dirty closets stay dirty because of silence, guess how dirty closets get clean? Confession. That's what we see in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. David comes clean. And notice the progression here. You see, David admits the past. I acknowledge my sin to you. David refuses to excuse. No more excuses. I did not cover up my iniquity. He just came clean before God. I said, I confess. And then what happened? See, he thought he was going to be destroyed. He thought it was going to be the end of him. Oh, no, it wasn't the end of him. It was, it was, it was beginning again. That's what it was. I said, I will confess, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. At some point, the pain of a hidden past hurts more than the pain of an open heart. And so David confessed. To whom? To whom ought we confess? (laughs) In a sentence, to the one against whom you've sinned. To the one again. So sometimes that means I will just go to God with this. Other times it means I will not only go to God with this, but to the offended party. Or if there is a shame or a hurt that's been done to me. Oh, if possible, if the Lord could bring about some opportunity for some moment of reconciliation. Paul says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But sometimes you can't go to that person for whatever reason. Maybe they've passed away. Maybe geographically. Or maybe they're still just not safe. Okay. Has God not given us in his family brothers and sisters in Christ who are filled with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit? upon whom we can lean and upon whom we can ask, will you carry, help me carry this burden? You see, I need healing. And the result, there is healing. Healing and cleansing by God himself. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Salah, think about that. Pause, pause. You see, the point of Psalm 32 is not The point of Psalm 32 is not if you want to clean your closet, then you've got to unlock the door and then open the door and then get in there and deal with it and get yourself a great closet organizing system. That's not the point of the psalm. The point of the psalm, rather, is this. 
If you will confess and come out of hiding. Look, look, God says, all I want you to do is unlock the door and step aside. I'll do the cleaning. I'll do that. I'll take care of it. And what this psalm says is that confession unlocks the door for God to do his cleansing work. And you can trust him to do that. Verses 6 and 7. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. In other words, when God is prompting you to come clean, that's when you come clean. That's when you confess. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. God does not want you to hide in your closet. He wants you to hide in his. And his closet's bigger than yours. In fact, it's not really called a closet. It's called a refuge. It's called a shelter. A fortress. He wants you in him and in his fortress so that you can hear him sing shouts or songs, verse 7, of deliverance. You see, you get in God's fortress and you can hear him sing shouts of deliverance over you. Selah, think about that. Think about that. When God does house cleaning, when he does closet cleaning, he does so with a smile on his face. I do my house chores and it's a necessary evil because I want to get them done and do what I want to do then after that. Not the God we worship. He loves house cleaning. He loves closet cleaning. He does so with delight. He doesn't say, well, let's get this over with. He says, let's do it. Let's go. How would you, and he, and he does so with delight over you. How would your life change if you believed at the core of your soul God's affection and delight over you? Huh? Charles Cooley. Charles Cooley? Charles Cooley. He was an American sociologist, lived 100 years ago. So what? Ah, but he had this theory called the looking glass self, which is still accepted today in sociology. What's the looking glass self? The looking glass self is this. You are what the most important person in your life says you are. You are what the most important person in your life says you are. I think Charlie took this from Scripture. What, what would my life be like if I truly believed to the core of my soul that God had crazy, amazing love for me? What? What? I'm thinking of the Apostle John. Do you know what his other name was? The disciple whom Jesus loved. And he was what the most important person in his life said he was. And the Apostle John is not the only disciple whom Jesus loved. See? Oh, my goodness. 
Dirty closets stay dirty because of silence. But they get clean because of confession. We step out of the way and we let God do his amazing work. And that then prompts us to question three. What can we anticipate? What can we expect from him? And so the psalm continues. Verse seven, uh, God who has promised to protect and surround in verse seven, now in verse eight tells David that he will give David the wisdom that David needs so that David is not doomed to repeat the past. You see, whereas David has been speaking in verses 1 through 7, now God gets the microphone in verse 8. God says, I will instruct you. I will teach you. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God himself is doing the teaching and instructing and counseling. And how does that happen anyway? Well, we are taught by his word. Psalm 119, verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We're not only taught by his word, we're taught by the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 25 tells us, keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, in your dance with God, let God lead. Let Him lead. And we're not only taught by His Word, by His Holy Spirit, but we're also taught by His people. See, See, the Holy Spirit comes upon the family of God, and now brothers and sisters in the family of God teach and instruct one another so that we're not just a a, a crowd of individuals, but we're a community, we're a family, teaching and encouraging one another. I'm thinking about the worship service uh, where people had an opportunity as a part of the service to write their sins on a slip of paper, and they were to fold the paper and then come forward and pin that paper to a wooden cross as a reminder of Christ's forgiveness. And, and this family came and they sat together in a service and So it was now their turn to come and to walk as a family. And so they all grabbed a sheet of paper and they all started writing out their confessions. And there was a six-year-old in the family. And whereas the others in the family were kind of, you know, discreetly writing and sloppy cursive their sins, not the six-year-old, he started writing with large, clear block letters. Whereas the family, they were kind of carefully folding the sheets so that nobody could see the sins. They intentionally left their names off of the paper as well and they came forward and pinned their sins to the cross. Not this six-year-old. Oh, no, 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 no. In large block letters, God, I am sorry because I lie. And then he signed his name. (laughs) And he refused to fold it. And he marched up to the front and he pinned it face forward to the cross. His parents asked, why did you do that? Why did you, don't you want to fold it up so no one can see it? And then this little six-year-old said, I wrote my name on it because I want everyone to see it. Because if they know it was me, maybe they can help me stop. That guy gets it. Secrets have power only when they are secrets. Only in the closet. Only in that puny little 
pseudo, holy of holy-like kingdom. That's where secrets have power. They have, they have no power outside the closet. No power. In the light, they are powerless. So the question then is, can we trust the Lord who is the light? Can we trust him? And David says, oh yes, without question, we can trust him. We can step out of our closet. This closet that cloisters and surrounds our secrets, we can step out of that and instead step into the fortress of God's steadfast love. Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. We can trust him. God will not defraud us. He won't. Gerald May has written a powerful book called Addiction and Grace. And he said this, Honesty before God requires the most fundamental risk of faith we can take. The risk that God is good. The risk that God does in fact love us unconditionally. And it is in taking this risk that we rediscover our dignity. To bring the truth of ourselves just as we are to God, just as God is. That is the most dignified thing that we can do in this life. You can trust him. So unlock the door and step out of the way. Please. See, one of these days, the locks are going to come off. They're going to come off. And it's just better for you to unlock it than for God. It really is. It's better. It's better when the locks come off by your choosing. When we choose the unfailing love of the Lord in his pure holy of holies rather than trying to make some idol that we end up worshiping and guarding and protecting in this pseudo holy of holy closet. Craig Jutilla, who was here last week, said, you can learn enough to want to or you can hurt enough to have to. It's your choice. It's your choice. Verse 11 concludes, be glad in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see what's going on here? The psalm has now moved from sluggish, individual isolation and depressive alienation to the joy of corporate worship. You can't say, be glad in the Lord while guarding a locked closet. You can't. And the fact that this is a song, a public song, is evidence that David harbored no secrets. And that is when our church becomes healthy, when we, in the joy of the Lord, come together, no secrets. A congregation of worshipers who have stepped into the light. We, we belong to a family where we don't have to keep destructive and dysfunctional secrets. We can rejoice in God because we come to him as we are and worship him as he is. 
And we can risk confession to God because we know he's good. We know that he will preserve us from trouble. We know that he will surround us with shouts of deliverance, which is what he did on the cross. His shouts, shouts, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Shouts, it is done. Shouts, and in the cross, we take refuge. We take shelter. We can take our secrets to the cross. And we can pin them to the cross. Unfolded, large letters, sign name, because they've been crucified there. We let them hang. We let Jesus suffer for our secrets. That's why he died. And that's not only why he died. That's why he rose. And he rose from the dead, not your secret. Amen.